Welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Good morning, ladies. Back on Coming Up for Air. How are you, Dominique and Kayla? Dominique, you have a topic today that we're going to discuss. What do you want to talk about? It was a question from one of our members who wrote in and asked about whether she had caused her husband's drinking because the night before at some sort of holiday dinner, they were going around the table saying what they were grateful for. And she said she was grateful for her husband's sobriety. And he was really upset with her afterwards. And the next day she said he looked kind of strange and she went on a search and she found a bottle that had been hidden. And so she was wondering if she had actually caused that drinking episode. And I'm pretty sure that the response back was, no, you did not cause, you're not causing someone to drink. And I think that if you reframe it in your mind, I think that this individual is questioning whether her comment caused her husband to drink. And I think there's actually a deeper issue going on here. I think that she's more than likely wondering if her comment about him being abstinent and being thankful and grateful for his abstinence, is it the comment that caused the drinking or what is it about the comment that is disturbing to her husband because there's there's a lot more to this piece because he did express it he said to her you know why did you have to do that and i think she's trying to understand what is difficult for her husband to deal with her making that comment so a thought that i have about this because this is really how we orient with allies in recovery and with craft which is that that is an externally driven comment She's not grateful for something that she's doing or something that's happening. She's pinning her well-being on whether he's sober or not, which to me is the most dangerous, shaky thing that you could do because that's where the pressure comes. That's where, you know, I also think of it in a different way, which it's almost like a confidentiality issue. And I don't know if that's just because I'm a therapist, but, but I feel like I think we need to be careful when we're talking about somebody else's business because it's their business. And it's interesting that their business affects your well-being, which is what we're trying to untangle with allies. It's like you need to be well because you're doing like you took a yoga class or you accomplished something. But for you to be okay based on your, your loved one's recovery or sobriety or whatever means that you are looking outside of yourself for your own well-being. And that's a lot of pressure for the other person. And that's basically was the answer back. It's your well-being or your happiness is dependent on your loved one's behavior. And that's basically what the statement was in front of the entire family. And I know that this writer felt that everybody in the family already knew that he was struggling with alcohol. So she felt it was an appropriate thing to have gratitude for. But I also think it's important to redirect and kind of reframe it for her in terms of like, like just what you're saying, Kayla, that it shouldn't depend on what the other person does. Your happiness should not depend on that. 
it's like sitting at the table and saying, well, I'm grateful that all my kids got A's, right? That's an awful lot of pressure to put on your kids. And it should be more like, I'm grateful that we get to sit here and be happy and healthy together as a family or that kind of thing where it's, it's not dependent on someone's behavior to make you happy. Yeah. And what I would add is that if your loved one is actually sober, then there's things that are he's doing differently. So I'm grateful that I feel like we're close again. I feel I'm grateful that we're enjoying each other. I'm grateful that we went to go see a show the other day and that we had a really good time. So that you're describing something that you're both doing and not what that other person is doing. It's really like the rewards of the recovery, not just the fact that they're not using you know, that we're getting along so great or that we've had a good time. And Dominique, I see that you're going to say something. I guess it's the all or nothing is that your behavior shouldn't affect me. And I get that on principle and I get that on self-care. But the reality is that for her, this was the most grateful thing she was, she had. And it did have a big effect on her, even though I understand what you're saying about his behaviors shouldn't influence you or at least should go through a lens that is an understanding that it is his behavior that's making you feel this way. But I know it from, from my own family is that, especially if you've got adult children and they're spending a lot and they're causing a lot of havoc and it's not just love and loyalty to your loved one, but it's also the destruction and the danger and the, I'm grateful that he's not destroying things and not, you know, second mortgaging the house and, you know, all these other horrible things that have caused us such chaos and insecurity. I guess I, I feel like the wife who wants to, you know, at least recognize that no matter what, they are affecting each other to some degree. And that what we're talking about is really specific, specific to the dynamic, the interaction, the whose responsibility is what for, really. I also think that it's important to understand that what we're talking about is, did my comment make him drink? Did I say something that made him drink? Falls on the, in the same category. In other words, he can't blame her saying that for causing him to go. It, it's still his responsibility not to drink just as much as it is her responsibility to not make a comment like that or to understand that his behavior or her feelings are her responsibility and his feelings are his responsibility to take care of. And I get that he found himself wanting to drink. He drank and he would love to lay it at her feet. So as the family member, we have to get, get some Teflon on us because so much of it is going to be finger pointing back to us. And I bet that she's in, she's enculturated in that relationship to take some blame, to be responsible for doing things wrong that have caused him to drink in the past. So it, it, it's not an unusual thing to be accusing a family member. Yeah, but if, but if you look at what we're doing with allies, it's like we're looking at what's my part of this dysfunctional dynamic. So you're never, ever causing this thing. You're not making the person do it. But what we're doing with this work is what's my part of this dysfunctional dynamic, okay? So it's not blame or shame or responsibility because you're never 
causing the person. You're just, we're looking at changing the dance. So again, take the shame out of it, take the blame, take the responsibility. But if you look at your part and say, oh, that didn't really work that well, or that backfired, that's all this is. But as data, not as blame or shame. I also think that the fact that it was public didn't help. I think that the public part of it puts more pressure on it because then everybody's looking at you. I personally, if somebody did that to me, I would be enraged, by the way, just so you know. It's like, screw you. You're talking about me. This is none of your business. Why are you using me in your gratitude? It's like, talk about yourself, not me. And I don't want to have that much power in your life. Just This is just me personally, okay? It's like, why are you talking about my behavior, my choices? And I go back to people are natural, naturally rebellious. It's like, you're trying to do something to me. You're trying to make me feel something. You're trying to like keep me sober this way or whatever. And I actually think that it's like, there's something about it that at least personally doesn't feel good to me. I feel like I would rebel against that and say, screw you. You think I'm sober. Now I'm going to show you I'm not going to be. I totally agree with you. It's like saying, I'm so grateful that my husband isn't an a-hole anymore. <laughs> right? That's basically what it's like saying. He's changed. He's doing so much better and he's not a jerk. <laughs> I agree with you, Dominique. He is absolutely going to lay it at her feet. He probably has in the past, Right. But there's another missing piece that a lot of family members and people don't recognize. And that is, is that we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And she is doing the exact same thing by saying to him, I am laying it at your feet. I can feel better because if you don't drink, I feel better. And I'm sure in the past it was the same thing. You know, it's because of you. It's because of your drinking that we're not doing well. It's because of this. It's because of that. And not just what Kayla's talking about. Step back. Take a look at what is my contribution to this. The only thing that I have control over, and I say, take control of it. Take control of it. Recognize it. The only thing I have control over is me, myself, and I, and I can bring the best of me to this situation. So I'm going to try and learn what's my piece in this. How can I make it better next time? How can I bring my best self to make a positive change? And hopefully my loved one through the relationship and through work and understanding and reflecting on my part, hopefully my loved one will also kind of come along with me on the journey and will learn without perfection, without perfection. So he might have a recurrence. He might have moments when he can't handle things and you get scared and you get frustrated. Of course, you're affected. It's just what you do with yourself when you are affected. And that is your responsibility, not the other person's responsibility. This reminds me of an older woman I heard talk about. She has a an adult daughter in her 30s who's has had a lot of complicated things happen and, and she's used to going to see the daughter since she's been out of rehab, go visit her every week or every twice a week, whatever the schedule is. And she really wasn't feeling well and she just didn't want to go. And she literally was worried that if she didn't go, I mean, this woman, this young woman now has you know six, nine months into a recovery style. 
if she didn't go, that somehow the daughter would decompensate, would, would drink, would something bad would happen. It's so inbred in some family members that somehow their action is the lever, right? And this is an obvious one at dinner, but I was struck by this because this is down the road. This is okay. We've got some abstinence. We've got some going. The daughter is clearly standing on her own two feet and somehow the mother's two-hour trip back and forth across the state to see her daughter is still what the mother is hanging on to as, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this right? Will this cause her? Will this cause her? I just want to reiterate how deeply held some of these beliefs are. Yeah. And I, I actually think that that's, this is a huge piece in the psychological jargon. We call it, well, it's not psychological. It's being merged. It's being entangled. That's not the psychological, sorry about that, but it's being entangled with somebody where this is what everybody means by codependency, that there's like this linkage and overlap. And what we want to work on is healthy separation and differentiation so that that person is not you, you're not them. And what happens is that as your person gets better, you are part of their story, but you're not causing their story or you're not making their story happen. Just as if they're lapsing or relapsing or not doing anything, then they should not have that element of power over you. Um, because it's like, if you're going to respond to everything they do, like you're being penetrated and wounded, this is not going to work. There's too much merging of the two of us. So you want to start separating and seeing them as a separate person than you are. I think all of this is really, really, really important piece. And, and absolutely, as a family member who has experienced these beliefs and feelings that are so embedded in, in me, as a mom, I can tell you that I still, to this day, struggle with those ideas that I have to do something because if I don't do this or by not doing it, I'm the cause of someone else, my, my particular loved one, going out and using or doing something that I'm, I'm petrified of. And it's a very difficult thing to overcome as a family member. It is so deeply ingrained. And there are times that I just give up and I give into it. And I just say, I can't, I can't, I'm not able to deal with it right now. And I just give into it. I think it's really important to have family members like be self-compassionate and caring and forgive yourself that understanding that you're really up against something that's incredibly powerful. But on the flip side of it, I often say this, I say this in the rest groups, we talk about this particular piece a lot. People will say, he's manipulating me, she's manipulating me, they're lying to me, they're this, they're that. And we become wounded animals and we feel like we're the victim. But the fact of the matter is, is if I know I'm being manipulated, if I know that, then it is my responsibility not to be manipulated. And if my loved one is trying to manipulate me, it's actually not their responsibility not to try and manipulate me. It is my responsibility to say, no, I'm not going to be manipulated. And so that's where the boundary piece comes into play, right? That's where whose responsibility is what. And it's my responsibility to protect myself emotionally, 
and I'm not going to be perfect at it. It's also my responsibility to go ahead and forgive myself when things don't go well. And when I don't do what I proclaim I should be doing, it's okay to say, you know what, today I was tired. Today, I just wasn't able to hold it together. You know, just kind of bringing it back to this particular piece. It sounds very surfacy. Did my comment cause his drinking? And the answer was no, <laughs> it didn't. But I also think the actual question isn't that. The actual question is what's really going on here? Because I'm trying to untangle all of these pieces. That makes sense. I just want to say something before we wrap this whole thing up, because I am the person who answered that particular question on the website. And one of the things that I'm doing, and one of the things that we've been doing at Allies and Recovery is really working on language, changing the language around substance use disorder in order to destigmatize. And there's been a couple of words we use today in context of this particular question, and that is the word sober. Sober is actually considered a stigmatizing word. And when I responded to this particular question, I actually changed the language, of course, without pointing it out to the person, but changed it to abstinent from alcohol, not drinking, not using alcohol and kind of got descriptive. So just kind of letting everybody know that we're working on that on Allies in Recovery, and maybe you two could kind of work on it a little bit and kind of reduce some of the stigmatizing words like like sober. And we often don't use the word codependency, but I thought it was a great positive description of what we're talking about when we, we are talking about codependency. But it's really important to understand that codependent is actually not a diagnosis. And at this point, it's been really weaponized. It's a word that's been weaponized towards families. So in our meetings and stuff, we try, we try and avoid it. But just throwing that out there. Can you just say why this word sober is stigmatizing? Well, because it's very limited. I prefer words like in recovery, in recovery from opioids. And also you hear a lot of people that are in recovery or working on their recovery and they're not sober. Or if you think about a sober house, what do you think about? Not using. Everybody's not using. And um, you're not successful if you are using. If you're using anything, I prefer to use the word recovery house. What image comes to mind when you hear the word recovery, recovery house? Yeah, much more positive. Yeah, much more positive, right? People are in there working to make their lives better. That's what they're working on. I think we're at a turning point now with the language, like with all language these days, we're having to figure out what everything means and then how people feel on the other end of it. So that's part of the work here. Like one of the things that drives me crazy is when people say I'm recovered. That makes me nuts because that feels like, oh, I'm at the end of my journey. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, if you're at the end of your journey, you're going to die because that's really what's next once you're done because life is just the ongoing journey. And I feel like if we could just really look at all of this as people are doing the work, okay, that's really how I see it. So, and I probably use the word sober or whatever, but I'm like just throwing out words here. And I, what I mean is that there are times that people might not be using a substance, but like I have a client that I'm working with that is considers herself in recovery and she's using CBD to go to sleep. Okay. And before, if you did that, you were definitely not. And she can't even say that in meetings because 
the line it used to be you, you were either you had no substances in your body at all, which was the old fashioned AA definition of sobriety. And that really started to go off the rails when people started taking antidepressants and antipsychotic medications and anti-anxiety medications, which used to see, be seen as a relapse or as using. And I think what's happening with all of us now is we're really looking at this whole process differently. It's not somebody is completely has no substances in their body. It's what's their function how is it affecting their behavior? Are they working on themselves? Are they progressing in their lives? Are they moving forward to have a quality of life that they want to have? Are they engaged in the world? So that's how I see it differently. And, and I'm personally, I have a really hard time with all of the words because none of them quite land in a way that describes what I'm trying to describe, which is that people are doing the work. And I also want to point out, I'm not talking about people that self-identifying as something. They can do whatever they want. Exactly. I'm talking about me talking about other people or being respectful of other people. That's all. So you might self-identify as being sober and I'm, I'm not going to correct you, but I might not refer to you that way because I feel I don't have the right to, or I don't that that's not my job. And then on the second half of it, I also feel it's my responsibility as on the outside, right? In the outside world to try and change views in my community. So I change my language. And I also feel like a lot of people in the world don't know the stigmatizing language and they don't have the vocabulary to replace those words. So here they are. These are the words you can use to replace it. And, and that's it. That's all I'm doing. So just kind of throwing it out there. Well, and I think this last part that you said brings us back to the beginning. So I guess it's time for my summary. Because the beginning is about referring to somebody else's status, which is, are they using, are they not using? And I think that anytime we refer to somebody else's status of what we assume or what we think we know, it's dangerous. Okay. And you're trying to acknowledge them, but what happens is ultimately we really don't know what they're thinking or feeling or what they're going to need to feel acknowledged or appreciated or what's going to send them into a situation where they feel something that feels bad, even though they've been doing well. So I feel like the whole story that we're talking about is how do you just talk about yourself with this? Like, I'm doing really well. I'm feeling more connected. I'm feeling more like I'm working on myself and start orienting towards yourself when you describe what you're grateful for or what you're doing in your life or something that doesn't refer to somebody else's behavior because it kind of puts it in a way that is fraught because we don't know how that person is going to react. So it's not that you do, you're doing anything wrong. It's just that it might be a boundary issue and you want to bring the boundaries back to yourself, which is really where you have the most control and the most say over what's actually going on and the most knowledge about what's happening and not happening. Great. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.